Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody out there, and once again, may I welcome you to our fantastic podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters. All of these books, volumes one through eight, are available at Amazon in paperback and ebook format. And volumes one through eight, that's right, eight are available in audio format at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. And do partake of my latest book, How to Make Money, God's Universal Laws for Wealth and Prosperity. Folks, this book is a real eye-opener, and I guarantee you will benefit from reading and doing the things contained therein. And now, my brother... And co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm good. How about you, Bill? Marvelous. I told you we just came back from a Japanese hibachi restaurant. Nice. Uh, celebrating did, they make a little... a, did they make a choo-choo train out of the vegetables and steam? <laughs> no, but they do a lot of uh, uh, hot rotting with their spatulas and stuff yeah, in front yeah. of you. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, steam and flame and goofing around. How about, how about throwing, throwing shrimp tails into the top of their hat? Did they do that? <laughs> no, they didn't. That oh, would be a waste man. of a good shrimp. <laughs> no, shrimp tails, shrimp tails. Oh, shrimp tails. All right, well. Yeah. But they, they goof around. There's a lot of noise in there, a lot of horsing around. Uh, yeah, yeah. They sing Those these places are goofy. fun. Yeah, they're fun, and the food's not bad either. No, it was good. It was very good tonight. Very good. Cool. And uh, uh, I said to Eddie, you know, pre-COVID, the last time we were there was on a Father's Day. Mm. And the place was just freaking jammed. Uh, and this was like a year and a half, two years ago before the COVID blast, you know? Yeah. And uh, But today it was much more casual. I'd say a third of the tables or the hibachis were booked. And uh, real nice once in a while to go over there and do that, you know? Oh, yeah. I, lo- I love those kinds of things. I don't do them enough. But uh, I'll tell you what, everything here, like the restaurants here, are mobbed. Like you uh-huh. you can't go out on the weekend unless you make a reservation well in advance, which it's great. I mean, it's good for the restaurants to be making a comeback. Even uh, McDonald's? Uh, I haven't checked McDonald's. <laughs> you know they uh, they're redefining fast food as slow food. 
Oh my god. Don't goodness. get me started on McDonald's, man. If you're yeah, a stockholder yeah. in McDonald's, sell your stock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I said to Paula the other day, uh, you know, when my, M- Mickey D's first came out, they were like the only game in town, and then Burger King. Oh, it, but, but they were good. You know, they the food was good. It was predictable anywhere you were in the world, and the service was fast. Yeah. Now, Bill, like I, I went probably two months ago. I stopped in to get a, a iced tea, <laughs> and uh, I pull up to the drive-thru. And they're like, um, can you pull ahead into the parking space and we'll bring it to you? I'm like, I ordered iced tea. And they're like, yeah, we don't have any iced tea. Great. So what were you supposed to like, do when you pulled ahead? Well, they pull you. They have the, they're so ready to not perform. They have these dedicated parking spaces that they put you in when they can't fulfill your order at the drive-thru. Great. I mean, that's a bad sign right there. But Yeah, really bad. I digress. Jeez. But, Bill, we had a beautiful day today. The weather is fantastic. Um, my deck project that I told you about out back behind the house here is finally looking like a deck. Oh, uh-huh. I was stressed out. Do you still out have to that. walk? You still have to walk out the front door and go into the backyard? No, no, I can walk out the back door, <laughs> which is fantastic. Uh, although I moved Martha's ramp, you know, she's a 13 year old Labrador, so she has a ramp. I moved it from the right side of the steps to the left side of the steps. Same steps. Uh-huh. And she, like, goes to it, and she looks at me like, this isn't right. <laughs> she wouldn't go down it. I slide it over to the right. Now, I mean, I know why they're good guide dogs. They're just creatures of habit. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, they get used to what they know, and uh, that's what they want to do, you know? No doubt about it. But a yeah, beautiful just, day I, today. I don't know how your weather was, but it was like... Blue sky, <laughs> puffy clouds. It was hot, but it was beautiful. Uh-huh. <laughs> I can't stop laughing because you know what I'm thinking about? McDonald's <laughs> drive-thru. Yeah. I'm wondering if McDonald's, after our little rant, would like oh. to sponsor our show. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. well, we're not the only ones giving the rant. I wouldn't give the Uh, rant if I thought it was like a one-off or something. Come on. Yeah, yeah. They used to be the standard of excellence. (laughs) They really were anywhere in the world. I mean, I've been to McDonald's in China, and uh, they were the standard of excellence. Now something happened there. Yeah, I don't. They lost the I don't even. <laughs> I don't even think Bigfoot would eat over there. <laughs> no, no. Oh man! So what do you got, bro, for our cryptids in the news and other yeah. oddities? Yeah. So we're going to be doing other oddities tonight, Bill. Uh huh. So uh, this is something that a few of our listeners have written in about, and I had heard about them a little bit, but then I dug in after hearing from some of our listeners. So. Hats off to the folks writing in and giving us ideas and giving me ideas for the cryptids in the news and other oddities. We're uh-huh. talking about these isolated staircases that are being found out in forests, including the national parks. And globally, uh, they're found, you know, sometimes 50 miles from the nearest civilization, whether it's a, a wooden staircase that leads to nowhere in the forest 
or a stone staircase that goes up like two stories and there's nothing at the end of it or something in the middle. So very strange. Have you heard of these? I'm shaking my head here like what? Yeah. Freaking staircases staircases? in the middle of nowhere that basically lead to nothing. That is freaking one of the most outlandish things I've ever heard. Yeah, and apparently, like, some of these stories originate with the search and rescue folks. So they're going out to rescue somebody in the middle of nowhere, and then they come across these stairs. And apparently, at least, you know, based on what's written out on the Internet, especially at social media sites like Reddit, the social... uh, the, the search and rescue folks are like, yeah, it's just another day in the journey. We see it all the time, these staircases in the middle of the woods. And sometimes, you know, again, 30, 40, 50 miles away from the nearest civilization. Now, I got to say something here, Kevin, sure. and to our, listen, to our listeners. If anybody out there, uh, now that Kev has broke the ice with these staircases to nowhere, if anybody out there is aware of anybody on any uh, platform encouraging people to build such things, I'd like to know about it. <laughs> How's that sound, Kev? Yeah. I, by the way, I don't think anyone's building them. I think they're old and uh, just weird. So there's different theories, right? So one theory is, you know, there were stairs that led up to a structure, And, of course, the structure's gone, especially, you know, if you see the stone and brick stairs. But I have to tell you, like, I do a lot of hiking around here in the southeast, and it's it's very common to come across stairs. But I'm talking about, like, four steps up, you know, out of stone and brick. But you also see remnants of the foundation and certainly remnants of the fireplace. That's right. I have never come across stairs with no remnants of anything else. Yeah, and that's what's getting me, Kev, is that if stairs are still remaining, the entire wooden structure could have rotted and decayed away a hundred years ago, but there would be something, a rubble foundation, weeds, trees growing out of it. You'd see a square in the ground where a house once was situated. But just stairs? Well, so That's there's another there's another more sinister idea behind the stairs. All right, let's have it. All right. Do you have an idea what these might be? I you know, I really I'd have to give it's this not some thought, but it's not obvious at all. No, right now I'd have to say I have no idea. That's fine. That's fine. So some folks believe that the staircases aren't stairs at all, but they're like a pulpit for a preacher holding some sort of dark intended gathering out in the middle of nowhere in a forest. So he would he or she would climb up this set of stairs and stand atop of it like some Aztec pyramid. Yeah. And uh we don't have to Preach. bring the Aztecs into this, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're not going to sponsor us either. <laughs> I don't want to get hate mail from ghost Aztecs. 
Ay, ay, ay. But yeah, that Bill, so like really- somebody's climbing up the stairs and they're giving a little sermon in the middle of nowhere, you know, maybe sacrificing something. Who knows? All right. So that's so one here of we the have- other theories. Yeah, so here we have it again, folks. If you know anything about any of this, I want you to contact me. This is really yeah. opening up a can of worms here, Kevin. No, it's very, but very uh, weird stuff. And like again, we got a few letters, not one, but a few letters in, and they're like check into the search and rescue uh, rumors of finding these stairs out in the middle of the forest. And like, sure enough, I go and check it, Bill, and it's all over the place. Wow! I'm like, what the heck? So like, here's I never my heard thought. Anything of this. Yeah, here's my thought now, Kev. There is a distinct possibility that uh, the stairs uh, represent something in some sort of cultic activity. Could be. Uh, they have a meaning that we're not thinking about. For instance, you remember the Zeppelin album, Stairway to Heaven? Yeah. Now I'm not I'm sh- I I don't know if if they had any uh cultic uh, background. Well, we know at least one of the members was interested in some weird stuff. Uh but, but they were a great band. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of bands were into weird stuff, Kevin. If they weren't into it directly, they were trying to appear like they were yeah. to entice that rock and roll rebellious nature that they were promoting. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You know, they may not have been into anything at all, but the T-shirts and uh, the album covers and this and that were indicative of them wanting you to believe there was something mysterious and weird, ultra weird about, you know, their getting together and the music they played, you know. But I still like me some Led Zeppelin music. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know. Hey, listen, I remember seeing Mick Jagger and the Stones playing a private party. John Lennon was there with uh, Yoko and some other people, very select group of people. And uh, Jagger had his shirt, ripped his shirt off, and under his shirt he had a gigantic, I guess it was painted on, uh, tattoo of Satan that oh, took nice. up his entire... The entire front body from his neck to his waist. Very nice. Yeah, so, you know, he was, he was trying to make a statement. It didn't accidentally get put there, you know. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk so. about one of these accounts. So we have an account here, Bill, that somebody uh-huh. posted where um, they were visiting uh, their relatives in Lillisand, which is in southern Norway. And they went hiking. They say nothing big, just a walk and a picnic in some woods. Mm-hmm. With us were my niece and nephew, who are both quite young. So I joined them in hide and seek while the proper grown-ups had coffee. Yeah. Me and my nephew were first to hide, but we split up and ran alone quite a ways into a thicket of woods. And I found a staircase. Nothing remarkable, riddled with moss, and made from what looked like really old concrete and large pebbles of rocks in it. It didn't really seem out of place at the time, but thinking back, hmm, anyway, I decided it was fit for a hiding place. But after only a few seconds of squatting behind it, 
I got up and stepped back. I couldn't shake the feeling that I really shouldn't be anywhere near it. I suddenly had this feeling of being severely unwelcome and that I should get as far away from it as possible. So I ran to my family and didn't even look back at it. Thinking about it now, it still gives me the same sort of, I know, wrong feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I understand wrong feelings and they're to be uh, respected. Yeah, I mean, whether uh, you think you see a Bigfoot and, uh, you know, you're not sure, but you have this feeling in the back of your mind, like, get the heck out of here, the hair standing up on the back of your neck, whatever it is, you got to respect that sense that you have. It is no doubt about it. And I'm really, I'm hopeful that some people will come through with some concrete data as to the meaning of erecting stairs in the woods. There's got to be something to this that we're not aware of as of yet. We have an interesting story of some stairs, Bill, that I'm going to share with you in New Hampshire. So they're called Madam Sherry Stairs. So these are different stairs. But Mm. in Chesterfield, New Hampshire, a set of stairs in the woods has earned a legendary reputation. Although not really a mystery... The staircase rouses a lot of curiosity, and there is a story behind it. So these stairs, Bill, during the 1920s, a Parisian music hall singer named Madame Antoinette Sherry built a castle, quote-unquote castle, in the woods of Chesterfield, New Hampshire, to serve as a summer retreat. (laughs) Although it really didn't, you know have the dimensions of a real castle. It was more like a French chateau with a stunning stone staircase complete with Roman arches that led to the second floor. And she had lavish parties, and then there's rumors around there that, you know, maybe she really was a bit of a madame. (laughs) And it was like a Uh house of ill repute. Um, But she fell into poverty uh, and abandoned the chateau. And then in 1962, the castle burned down. And today, the stair only the stairs remain. So if you're hiking around up in uh, New Hampshire, you may see these stairs. I'm going to be looking for them, Bill. I'm going to figure out exactly where they are and maybe take some pictures of them and put them on the website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, when I'm up there this summer. Uh-huh. Well, wow, that's pretty creepy. Yeah, yeah, pretty creepy. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, I wonder, you know, I mean, if you happen to get over there, I wonder if there's anything left of the chateau besides that. They just say that, like, you may see an arch and the stairways and a little bit of the rubble of the uh, foundation. And there's some pictures online. I'll post them on our website. They're pretty cool. It looks like a Roman ruin. Like they have these arches that look a little bit like the old aqueducts in uh, Rome. So uh, yeah. the Madame had some uh, creative vision when she built this place, apparently. You know, isn't it amazing how so many people just fall into ruin? You know, they start out with some type of intention, you know, and then either beforehand, during, or after the fact, something gets a hold of them that just destroys them, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's a weird thing, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and this Madame uh, Cherie, 
Uh, sounds like she met a similar fate, you know? Oh, yeah. You know, she had to have a couple of bucks to construct uh, some type of chateau-looking building out oh, there. Oh, in the know, middle of have... the forest, 100%, Bill. Yeah, yeah, you had to have a few yeah, buckaroos. Absolutely. And uh, Maybe maybe a rougarou came along and said, and, and, Hey, French lady. <laughs> Yeah. Have you met the <laughs> Rougarou? <laughs> yeah, comment allez-vous? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Mi nombre is uh, Rougarou. Comment appelles-tu? <laughs> All right, well, uh, it's possible, you know. So I promised you some other oddities tonight, and I think I delivered with the stairway to nowhere. Boy, that stuff is... Right out of Bizarro cartoons. I know. I know. One hundred percent. So, what do you have, Bill? What kind of account you have tonight? Well, I come uh, well loaded and prepared tonight, and this is uh, this is just another one, uh, uh, as you're going to hear, that is really out of the box, uh, showing us once again that Bigfoot is not afraid to come on your property. And uh, so let me dig into this. This following visual as well as evidentiary account was told to me by Tom Baxter, who at the time of this event was 17 years old. This is what uh, Thomas had to share with me. In 1971, I was living in a house in Tennessee, just northwest of Livingston, near the southeastern fork of Dale Hollow Lake. Obviously, at the time, I was a young man living in my parents' house, and I had two siblings, my younger brother, Wade, who was six, and my older sister, Tamara, who was 20. The house was actually a third-generation dwelling within our family, and my grandmother was still living there with us. Her husband, my grandfather, had passed away years earlier. This house was situated in a fairly rural setting, with a long backyard buffered by woods being about a thousand yards or so from the lake itself. The house was an old two-story farmhouse with three bedrooms on the second floor and two on the first one being the master and the other a smaller bedroom which Wade slept in. I should mention that in all the years we had lived in and visited this house, there had not been a single incident worthy of talking about in regards to it being unsafe to be in or around this property in any way, shape, or form. It was the fall of that year, My father had just changed out all of the window screens, replacing them with the glass storm windows for the winter months. These were the old insert-style windows, which, when they were placed into the opening, several wing-nut type of fixtures were turned over the edges to hold them in place securely. I'll also mention that these so-called wing-nuts were so gummed up with paint from the many years that we actually had to use pliers to twist them into position. My father, who was a fairly stout man, to say the least, could not move them with his bare fingers. 
I slept upstairs at the time, and it was during one night that I was awakened by what sounded like Wade crying. I also heard a commotion going on downstairs, and so I ran down to see what the matter was. Uh, and there was Wade and Grandma. Now, let me see this, Kev. I got something messed up here. Hang and in there. Gonna... Find your place. Oh, I know what I did here. I got this uh, reversed. All right, so let's just go back a, a step. I slept upstairs at the time, and it was during one night that I was awakened by what sounded like Wade crying. I also heard a commotion going on downstairs, and so I ran down the stairs to see what the matter was. Wade was crying and saying something about a man touching the glass and looking in the window at him. He had a nightlight in his room because he was still young and afraid of the dark. And all of us were making faces at each other as though nothing really had happened, thinking that Wade had fabricated or dreamt up the whole thing. Well, my dad went outside, and I accompanied him, and finding nothing remarkable, that was that, or so we thought. About a week later, under basically the same circumstances, I was awakened again, this time by a loud scream, and I flew downstairs, almost breaking my neck in the process. Wade was frantic, this time saying that some monster had reached into his room and touched him in his bed. My dad and I immediately ran into the room, and feeling the cold air, we saw that the storm window had been removed, which was directly next to Wade's bed. My dad took one look at me, and we ran to get his shotgun, running out the door into the night. It was pitch black, and as we rounded the corner of the house, the storm window had fallen out. As we looked at it closer, it hadn't fallen out, but rather it was leaning against the house, as though you or I would place it down having removed it. As I've already told you, there were four of these gummed-up wingnuts on each window, and we had just removed and replaced them using pliers. There was no way this had fallen out and miraculously landed safely leaning against the house. We looked around a little as my father shouted to my mother to call the police. Sometime later, an officer showed up, and having done the usual walk-around, asked my parents if they had noticed any of the neighbors acting oddly, to which they said emphatically, no. The only thing that we had noticed was that the grass was tamped down, but we had just been out there working on the windows with the stepladder and the like, so to us, this was meaningless. The officer said the usual things like, call if anything else happens, and he left. Well, as it turns out, something else would happen, and it was only two days later. Wade came home from school that day not feeling well, going to bed early. 
My grandmother had stayed with him while we went into town to get some groceries. We had been gone for the better part of an hour, and as we were returning, it was already dark and had been for about 45 minutes. As we rounded the last turn to approach the house, we could see the flashing lights of not one but two squad cars in the yard and knew immediately that something had transpired while we were absent. As we entered the house, Grandma was hugging Wade with the policeman sitting on the couch. This, of course, was way before cell phones, so we had no idea what had happened. That night, it happened to be raining quite hard while we were away, and upon returning home, the dirt driveway (coughs) was already muddy and puddling here and there. The officer said that the young boy said a monster was pressing its face against his window. Terrified, Wade had run out of the room to his grandmother, and it was she who called the police. These officers were both well aware of what had happened just the other day, and in fact, one of them was the very same officer from the other night. They had actually just arrived only minutes before we had, and we stepped outside as a group, being only the men, myself included. As we walked around by the window, it appeared to have smudges and what was drool like that of a dog smeared over a fair amount of the middle of the pane. Although it was raining out, the rain had not made contact with the window whatsoever. But the ground was wet and had been for several hours at the very least. As the one officer was shining his light on the ground, there they were, several large and fairly well-formed bare footprints, like an enormous human had made them with no shoes on. There were no garden beds next to the house, only grass with some shrubs placed here and there along the edges of the foundation. These prints were clear and distinct and had been created with some heavy downward force into the ground. Now looking at our own prints, all we had done was flatten the wet grass, and yet whatever had made these sunk into the grass and ground about two inches. The police were exchanging glances and saying very little, which to me was a bit mysterious at the time, but I did take note of it. One cop actually rode into the yard with his lights on while shining his spotlight all around the area as best as he could. Eventually, we all went back into the house. By that time, Wade had calmed down a bit as an officer cautiously began to interview him while trying not to upset him. He asked him what he saw. Wade put his fingers into his mouth, stretching his mouth open wide and exposing his teeth as wide as he could, like a screaming chimp would appear. And I tried to refrain myself from laughing at him. The officer then said, and what happened next? Wade told him the monster pressed his ugly face against the window, staring at him with big white eyes and teeth, and he ran out of the room. The officer said that he and his partner would have to go look around and stop back in before leaving, which they did. They saw nothing, but were in no way saying that nothing happened. 
and we didn't know what they said amongst themselves when they were out of our company. At 9.45, they were gone. Wade fell asleep on my grandma's lap, and my dad was deeply troubled by all these occurrences. Next to the house and conveniently facing the side which Wade slept on was a large barn that my grandpa used to repair automobiles. It actually was built with a hayloft and an operating door and hoist. Grandpa used the hoist to pull engines and lift heavy objects out of his pickup truck's bed. In the morning when I awoke, the barn door was open, and I saw my father looking out of the hayloft door like he was trying to figure something out, so I went outside. The rain from the day before had stopped, and I asked my dad what he was doing, and he said to me, Son, whatever is coming to our house and scaring your brother is going to meet its end with my shotgun's lead. I don't care if it takes me an hour, a day, or a month, but I'm going to get that bastard for sure whoever or whatever it may be. I quickly made my way up into the loft as my father explained to me his plan. The barn sat in the dark with no exterior lighting on it or that shone on it during the night. The loft door, which was about 12 feet from the ground, faced directly at Wade's window. My dad said that each night the monster had showed up, it was well before midnight, while mostly everyone was still awake with the exception of Wade and Grandma. His plan was to get up in the loft at sunset each day, for as long as it took until he took this thing down. I told him I would stay with him, but he refused, saying that a man needed to remain in the house to protect the others. And so each night I sat with a bat and my 410 shotgun parked by the door, just after Wade had gone to sleep. Wade was now sleeping upstairs, and my dad had ingeniously made a kind of mock-up Wade as though he was still sleeping in his bedroom. Three days later, at 8.10 exactly, I heard both barrels of my dad's shotgun go off and the pellets hitting the side of the house. I guarded the front door until moments later when I heard my father's footsteps on the stairs and he opened the door. His eyes were as wide as saucers and he simply said, I got him. My mother said, honey, who did you get? And he said, the monster. He walked right over to his liquor cabinet and poured about four shots into a glass and sat down. My mother went by his side to comfort him, saying nothing as he finally broke his silence and began to tell us what happened. He said he saw a large shadow moving across the yard while looking through the hayloft door that was cracked open about four inches. When finally it had reached a point where it was by the corner of the house, which was, by the way, painted white. It was then that he caught full view of the immensity of this thing's silhouette, and he realized that this was no man. It was, as Wade had said, a monster of epic proportions. He said it had approached Wade's window, with the glow of his nightlight illuminating it, 
and was rocking back and forth in front of the window, ducking its head down to look inside. My dad said that when it was standing before it had ducked down, it was at least two feet higher than the window frame, which was about nine feet tall or thereabouts. And when it was in front of the window, its body consumed both the window and the side-by-side shutters as well. My dad said that before it had a chance to move, he put a round of buck square in its back and hit it with the second in the legs as it turned to run. But it wasn't enough to stop it. Rather, he said, this thing took off like a bat out of hell into the darkness. The next morning, my father had called the cops to report what had happened during the night. We went outside to greet the officers and stood along the house where Dad had blasted this thing. Very few of the pellets had missed their mark, with the evidence being just a couple in and next to the shutters which flanked the windows. The glass was untouched, and some of the shingles were broken on the lower wall. The concrete was also chipped where my dad had said he fired at its legs trying to, make a, uh, trying to take it down. He described it as being darkly colored and standing on two legs. He said it was four to five feet wide at the back and ten feet tall with extremely long arms. Even after being shot twice, it was able to run like a deer into the darkness not making as much as a sound, not a scream, not a yelp, nothing. The police were dumbfounded, and as for me, I was in a daze just listening to it. My dad was a real no-nonsense type of man. Even in his 60s, he was still yes sir and no ma'am with everyone. A deal was a deal, and a handshake sealed it. There was no way that he didn't see what he saw and shoot it just the way he said he did. We never had another issue with the monster peeping Tom after that. And I had taken over that bedroom from my little brother, Wade. Having read several of your books, Bill, I thought you might find this a little more than interesting. And so... I contacted you. What do you think of that, Kev? Super cool. Absolutely nuts. Yeah. Pretty wild. And, and by the way, you got to shoot this thing with more than buckshot. We're yeah, well, that over and over again. Apparently, there. Uh, you know, we even had that one dude. Uh, who was honest enough to say that he didn't think his rifle would have been enough to take it down. Oh, yeah, and he he had to re... Yeah, it was like a single-shot rifle. Yeah, I a get bolt that. action. Yeah. I get that. I mean, I want the AR-15 with the 40-round 556 clip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just keep <laughs> cracking them, man. I mean, you saw you saw the video of me shooting mine, Bill. It's like, bing, 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 every time it hits a steel disc. Yeah. Downrange. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, you got to have, that's why I say, you always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. No doubt about it, man. I I mean, you know, the shotgun, I get it. Like, if that's what I have, that's what I'd use. Yeah. You know, when the hairy man shows up there. But really cool account, Bill. Now, I didn't catch it. I don't know if you said it in the beginning, but where did that take place? Tennessee. Tennessee, okay. North northwest of Livingston, near the southeastern fork of Dale Hollow Lake. If any of you listeners know where that is, and uh, what was interesting also was the evidential proof that the shot had, for the most part, hit its mark with both both barrels. Yeah. There was a little bit of smattering on the concrete chipping and a couple of shingles, but this thing was looking in the window and none of the glass got broken. No. Only a couple, only a couple of shingles. So everything had pretty much hit this thing in the no, back. That's a, that's a miracle in itself, right? Shooting that shotgun and not breaking any glass. So that that creature must have absor- uh, must have absorbed a bunch of lead. Right, and been covering the glass at the time. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, this is this is the kind of freaky stuff. Many, many, many times people have said something was looking in the window and it was horrific. Oh, we were talking about uh, it last that, week, Bill, the dog man looking yep. in the window. <laughs> yep, they're, they're interested uh, I have an account. I know we'll get we get to all of them eventually, you know, of a woman who was rounding a corner in her car. Uh, there was a big field, never mowed, of course, just an abandoned old wheat field. Yeah. And out in this field was also an abandoned house trailer. Nobody lived there. She comes around the corner. Now, I don't know what the height of a house trailer is, Kev. What would you estimate? Eight foot uh, what, no. from the ground, probably. I was going to say nine, ten foot. Yeah, right. Because well, there are a few feet. A, they're a few feet off the ground to get to the floor. Right, right. Because they always park them and jack them up and put them yeah, on. Yeah, like, they got the cinder blocks right? under them, and then they jack them up to lever them, level them. Well, this sucker, when she rounded the corner, a broad daylight siding, had its hand flat on the roof. And was leaning down with its neck, looking in the window of this abandoned trailer. Yeah, that's a just monster. To, like way you know, just it, a monster. A monster. Yeah. I mean, come on, man. You can't tell me that you're going to run into something like this and think you're Superman and no. you know gonna gonna want to do something, man. No, I'm telling be in you, man. Shock when you see this thing. Yeah, let's yeah. face it. You're going to be in shock. You're like, what the heck is that? That's the whole thing, man. Some yeah. guys have even said they couldn't pull. They couldn't pull the trigger. Uh, yeah. Either well, confusion. They think of it as intelligent life. And, you know, it's easy to talk about shooting something. But, you know, when you're talking about taking it off of the face of the earth with your shot. Yeah. You, know. you may think twice about that. Absolutely. And then if you do shoot it and it drops, which there are accounts of these things happening, some people having shot it and killed it decide, I better get out of here or I may be up on charges. Oh, yeah. 
And that's the way things happen. You know, you don't that. mean it. Sometimes yeah. a murder happens that way. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I talk with you, Bill, about always carrying more gun than you think you're going to need. But it's really primarily designed at something trying to take your life. You know, well, correct. defending yourself. Yeah, self-defense. Yeah. Uh, and when you're talking about a grizzly attacking you, a mountain lion, a Bigfoot, that is self-defense. Oh, yeah. Man alive. Or a moose, right? Sure. A moose. They, I mean, they seem so gentle, but they say they're uh, super dangerous. I've seen well, them, I remember, too, in the wild. You know. Yeah, uh, less, I think it was Les Straub that said his most dangerous encounter he ever had was a moose. Uh, a bull moose coming yeah, on him. Or the moose with the calves. That's what they say. You know, just like the bears. When mama yeah. bear's looking after the little bears, you don't want anything to do with them. Yeah, they'll kill you, man. Yeah. They'll kill you. Yeah. So there you have it. That is uh, one crazy wow, uh, sighting. Ca- that's a great account, Bill. Great account from Tennessee. Go Vols. Yeah. Yeah, and they're, uh, and that following the freaking stairs to nowhere. <laughs> that was freaking really bizarre, man. Oh, really yeah. bizarre. Well, so that's it, folks. Kev, what do we got in our listener we mail segment? We some good segment. listener mail this week. So the first letter comes from Dino from Wisconsin. Okay. You remember Dino from the Flintstones? You remember Dino the dinosaur from Sinclair Gas Stations? Oh, yeah. The same Dino from the Flintstones, right? He was a dinosaur. Uh, yeah, I don't know I don't who know ripped that it's who the off. same, but I'm saying it's the same. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Sinclair used to have a green brontosaurus oh, yeah. on their gas station signs. Yeah. And uh, I, re- I remember going to the World's Fair in Queens. New York in like 1964, I think. Yeah, you went. You went without me because I wasn't around. Uh, <laughs> you weren't there. You weren't there. But they had a machine there, and in the machine you could put whatever it was—a quarter or fifty cent—and you waited, and it formed a green plastic Dino the dinosaur. <laughs> Yeah, true story. It's wild, yeah. And you had to wait a few minutes because it was hot plastic, and then it came out, and you waited for it to cool down. And then I guess it said, you know, okay, you can take it now or something like that. And I walked away with this dinosaur, and I thought it was the coolest thing, you know, this little six-inch, seven-inch tall green brontosaurus. Yeah, 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 100%. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, Well, anyway, Dino, not Dino from the Sinclair advertising campaign or Dino from the Flintstones. We're talking about Dino from Wisconsin. And he writes in with the subject of big cats. Wow. And he says, hello, WJ and KJ. First off, congrats on your new book, WJ. It sounds like quite a divergence from the tasty, furry feast I'm used to consuming on your robust <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and he says, also, congrats on your 100th podcast achievements. Here's to 100 more. Well, thank uh-huh. you, Dino. And he says, uh-huh. those big cat stories are neat. I remember when I was driving Putch, rhymes with Dutch, 
back from a Spirit Lake family union because he got all crippled up in a fossil hole. While we were driving across <laughs> Wisconsin, enjoying a cold cup of peat moss stew and Putch's mom's <laughs> stick snacks, we passed a Chevy Nova and two people in the back seat of it were trying to hold down what looked like a tiger-sized cat, though it looked like it was all black. The driver saw that I saw them and greatly reduced his speed, so we blew by him. Putch suggested that we take the next exit and wait for them, as Putch was sure they got spooked and wanted to get off the highway. We sped way ahead of them, and just as we lost sight of them in the rearview mirror, an exit appeared, and we took it, pulling onto the shoulder by some tall grass to conceal the vehicle. Sure enough, a few minutes later, the Nova slowly drove past us, up to a stop sign, and we saw the profile of a big cat head in the back seat. I pulled out from our spot and used the speed to get up behind them. Putch quickly wrote down the license plate number, and as soon as they saw us behind them, they quickly turned right and sped off with speed. I turned after them, and they suddenly stopped quickly, about 500 feet ahead of us. The back door opened, and we saw the cat get pushed out. The door slammed shut, and they tore off. Putch and I weren't quite sure what to do when the cat tore off into the nearby brush. We decided not to follow either and called the local sheriff, who wasn't in, who wasn't in so I left a detailed message about our strange encounter and contact info on a message machine, and we continued our trip, both a little shaken. A few weeks later, I heard that an exotic animal trafficking ring was busted in Wisconsin, somewhat near where we had our encounter, and can't help but think that not only did, did we have something to do with that, but a lot of big cat sightings could have been explained by something like this. As for the Bigfoot, does anyone ever check the trees up top? It's an ape, right? So maybe it's not so much disappearing, but quickly and silently climbing up to trees to hide in the canopy. What do you think, Bill? Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, I have uh, at least two, if not more, encounters. of You remember the story we did, Kev, where the ravens gather? Oh, yeah where the uh, creature was sighted by that hunter. Initially, the hunter was wondering why all the ravens were cawing up ahead of him. And when he got there, the Bigfoot was up in the tree ripping off the nest. Yep. Taking the so eggs, no, right? We've had several yeah, accounts where they're taking eggs. Chicks, eggs, whatever's there, whatever's it's food. There, yeah. That's easy, man. You just yeah. go up there, oh, there's a nest. Let me see what's in there. But it's pretty interesting here with Dino. You know, it's another, like, you know, we talked about it back in the UK Cats podcast, the big cats. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of it's pretty easy to explain. It's people, like, messing with these cats as pets and trafficking them and stuff like that where they shouldn't be. And then they get in trouble or, you know, they start to feel the heat on them, so to speak. And then they let them loose into the wild. Crazy. And can you can you imagine if like your only mode of transportation is this Nova? <laughs> and you're Nova trying to, with a Puma. Yeah, you're trying to man manhandle a cat. 
in the back seat? Yeah, no. I'm you thinking. Know, so maybe Bill, you I know a, you haven't seen it, but I'm thinking of Talladega Nights, where they're the the father's teaching Will Farrell how to drive the NASCAR car, and he locks him in the car with a uh, with a cougar. <laughs> he says, "You better drive faster. That cat's going to kill you." <laughs> oh, that's freaking nuts! Awesome. Stuff. Well, th- thanks, Dino. Yeah, good stuff, Dino. Thanks for sharing the account too. It's spectacular that you know folks are out there in uh, the real world and coming across this stuff. So, next one comes in from Tanya. And Tanya writes, Hi, guys. My name is Tanya, and Tanya's from Arkansas. And she's mm-hmm. a digital illustrator of children's books, which is super cool, Tanya. She yeah. says, I love listening to your podcast while I'm working on illustration projects. Perhaps I should write and illustrate a Bigfoot story for kids. Hey, Tanya, I think that's a great idea. Give me a call. I got some ideas on that, too. Uh Anyway, I digress. In the video you shared for episode 92 from the field camera, I did see the movement center screen to the right of that tree. If you zoom in, you'll be able to see what appears to be the head of an elk peering out. The thing that's unclear to me is why the video goes a bit dark when there's movement inside the tree to the right. It clearly looks as if something is sitting in the lower branches of the tree and then stands and looks in the direction of the elk. However, I'm not understanding why it goes dark for a minute for the dark the minute it moves. While I am familiar with various digital drawing programs from Photoshop to Procreate and how to alter art and photos in those programs, I have neither knowledge of video altering or field cameras. That being said, I'm in no way disputing the authenticity of the video because my family and I have witnessed plenty of things that many people would have dismissed. I never doubt the experiences of others. The difference in lighting just caught my eye. Perhaps the video only records when there is movement and a great deal of time had passed before the figure in the tree had moved. Again, Mm -hmm. I love the podcast. Keep doing what you're doing as it is one of the highlights of my day. Blessings to you both, Tanya. Hmm. And Tanya, that makes sense to me. I mean, I think these cameras are sleeping until they see movement. So that could be it right there. I have another explanation, though, Kev, why it went dark. Okay. I think that's uh, when the guy taking the pictures took his last swig of Jack Daniels. He almost felt he almost fell over and then he regained his footing. Ah, good good (laughs) Ah, Ah. man. Yeah, well that's interesting. You know, I mean it's it's neat and and Tanya and everybody else that's why we put these things out there. Uh, we're not really well I'm not I don't particularly take a side on anything other than I believe that Bigfoot is real sure uh, but we put all of these things out there if we have anything so that you could see it and make some kind of judgment call or assessment for yourself it's what it's all about right 100 percent 
I was having a conversation with somebody this morning about tree structures. And uh, the only thing we can agree upon is that we have about a half a dozen ideas as to what they may be. But no Bigfoot's going to come up to us and tell us what they actually are. You know, we don't know. Are they directional? Are they territorial? Are they a marker of uh, of uh, something else? Are they freaking mysterious artwork being created by primates? You know, who knows what they are, you know? Yeah, no, no doubt about it. You know, so, uh, but we appreciate Tanya writing in. Definitely Absolutely. excellent, Tanya. Cool, man. Well, two more letters, Bill. So this one comes in from Brian in the great state of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And the subject is the 33rd state. All right. What do you think that is, Bill? Are you asking me what the 33rd state is? Yep. I have no idea. Well, if you want me to take a guess? He's writing in, and let's just say he might be picking on you a little. What state yeah, it's do you Oregon. Think it is? Which it's one? Oregon. 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 <laughs> so the Brian and NC says, why not have fun pronouncing the name of our 33rd state? Oregon. Lean in heavy with the middle with different vowels. <coughs> Sorry. Uh-huh. He says, or a god. Or e god. Or i god. Or ru god. Uh-huh. And sometimes, or e god. Yeah, the home run king of irking Oregonians would be how we pronounce it in North Carolina, <laughs> Oregon. <laughs> See, Kev, this is another example of what happens to you when you eat tilapia every day. <laughs> Oregon, I like Oregon from Oregon. Uh, North Carolina. O R G U N. Brian writes it. All right. Hey, why not? Oregon. How about organ? <laughs> As in uh, your liver. <laughs> All right, our last <laughs> letter <laughs> comes in from Mitzi. And I forget where Mitzi's from, but she says, Hello, KJ and WJ. Just wanted to stop by and say that I adore your show. Okay, Mitzi doesn't like it. She adores it. This could be mm-hmm. the first person, Bill, by the way, that adores our show. Well, it might be, you know. I mean, that, that just I, I, came out know. and said that. <laughs> but, but Mitzi writes, once I heard you on Wes's show, Sasquatch Chronicles, of course, I started reading your books and was immediately hooked. Being Latina, we grew up very open to anything paranormal. There is always a paranormal segment on the Spanish news. So to me, unusual creatures, UFOs, etc. are are considered normal. And she writes, ha ha. Mm -hmm. I am an outdoor guide in the state of Iowa. This is my first season, and I always keep my eyes out for anything unusual. I've seen what might have been stick structures, and oh man, did I get a creepy vibe. If you mm-hmm. if you are ever in Iowa, just look for the house with the metal Sasquatch cutout in the front. KJ, mm-hmm. keep those cryptids in the news segments coming. They are awesome. Cheers, Mitzi. 
Yeah, and Mitzi, you know, uh, I've said this in the past. My wife is uh, Spanish, and uh, I've said on this podcast that there's been many times we were watching Spanish television, and they don't think twice about putting something on there uh, relative to the unusual, the odd, the paranormal, just as you say. Yeah. It could be a UFO, it could be a chupacabra, a phantom, uh, a Bigfoot. They just play it and let yeah. you see it. And that's exactly what we do. We talk about it, we show it to you, and then we leave it with you to comment on or just to listen and absorb it for yourself. Yeah, you mention that all the time, Bill. Yeah. It's just different than our typical news, so... Good stuff, Bill. Great podcast. And folks out there, thank you so much. I was just looking last night. We have so many new five-star reviews. Please leave us those five-star reviews. It's really the only way we have of attracting new listeners to the podcast. And by getting new listeners, we can stay on a regular schedule and continue to improve the quality of the podcast. So thank you so much for those five-star reviews. Awesome. And remember, folks, go out and buy a book. You got volumes one through eight, uh, Amazon, paperback and ebook, and then you have one through eight at Audible and my new book, uh, you know, How to Make Money, God's Universal Laws for Wealth and Prosperity. And by the way, if you find yourself walking in the Norwegian woods, sitting down for a cup of coffee, and hiding behind a set of stairs to nowhere. You best remember one thing, my friend. Always carry more gun than you think you're gonna need. Sleep tight. <laughs>